You are listening to Pastor Dave Lusk of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, God Speaks, recorded on September 30th, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Dave as he preaches. All right, well, welcome everyone. My name is Dave. I'm the youth pastor here at Harvest. It is good to be with you all, uh, whether it be here in Catanning or at one of our our campuses. Um, Such a joy to be with you here tonight. It was uh, just a great thing when Pastor Mike asked me if I wanted an opportunity to preach in Samuel. I said, absolutely. Uh, Hannah's story has been on my heart and on my mind recently. If you remember from, from chapter one when she was praying for uh, a child. For those of you who might not know, um, my wife and I ha- had tried for about three years unsuccessfully to have children of our own, um, and the Lord has led us to adoption. Um, it wasn't an, an easy road, uh, and so listening to the first sermon, uh, I'm not going to lie to you, was a little bit emotional for us, um, uh, for me, certainly. Um, and, and, you know, it's just been, it's been good to trust God and see his goodness through. We announced a, a little while ago our plan to adopt, and so many of you have supported us. Uh, we thank you so much for your ongoing support and your prayers. Um, and we're just really excited that the, the path that God has us on to become parents. Adoption is one of those things that we know is just so near and dear to God's heart. And God's been good through the process to show me his great love and affection um, because here's the thing, uh, adoption isn't easy. <laughs> in, in case anyone is wondering, uh, adoption is very, very difficult. Those of you who've been through the process know uh, there's another couple we've been talking to in our church that's going through the process that I pray for often um, because it's not easy. We just got our stack of paperwork uh, last week that we have to do for our home study. Um, they need my financial reports back to when I was 22. In case you're wondering, I'm not 22 anymore. Um, so I have to dig those up, and I have to pay them for the privilege to do this. Um, but through it all, here's what God's been showing me, which is just awesome. You can't accidentally adopt a child. You cannot accidentally adopt a child. You can have a whoops kid that's a biological kid. You're happy for them, but maybe they weren't quite in the plan, but you can't accidentally adopt a child. You can't just like go up to the hospital and come home and be like, oh, what do you know? Like it snuck in, you know, to the back seat. Um, It doesn't work that way. You, You have to go through a long process. It's a choice to adopt. God chose to adopt us. He chose to make us sons and daughters, to make us his own. Not only that, but there's a price to adoption. There's a price that has to be paid for adoption, and it's not the child that pays it. It's the parents. In our case, it was God who paid the price through the blood of his son Jesus on the cross. God paid the price to bring us to himself so that we could be the object of his affection, so that he could just shower us with love. And that's what I've been thinking about recently, that we're going to adopt a child, and this child's not going to have to to earn my affection. They're not going to have to repay some debt because we paid to bring them to our home. No, we're we're doing all of this so that we can love this child forever. Um, That's how God is with us. We don't earn his love. He gives it to us. We receive it 
through Jesus. Um, so I hope that's encouraging to you. It's been encouraging to me, especially as we read through the story of this young man that God clearly had a plan for that was chosen by God. And when we pick up in Samuel's story here in chapter 3, Samuel's lying down, it says, in the temple of God. And when you picture temple, I don't know what you see in your head, but I don't want you to think about like the big grand temple, right, with big stone walls and pillars and all, all this stuff. That hasn't been built yet, right? Don't think big stone building. That, that temple is still a, a ways off yet. Solomon, David's son, will be the one who builds that. Don't, don't picture that in your head. Think something a little a little more scaled down. Um, but the people still had the temple because it was the center of their worship still. It's where they still brought their sacrifices. It's where the priests ministered. It traveled with them through the desert because it's where the ark of the Lord sat, the, the literal presence of God among his people. Um, through the wilderness, through all of it, wherever the Israelites encamped, that's where they set it up. Uh, it was a reminder that God was with them. And once they had left the wilderness and entered into the promised land, what would later be the nation of Israel, the temple was set up uh, among the people still to worship and to remind them that God was still among them. And so we find Samuel is in the temple, and we're told that the lamp of God had not gone out yet. Now, God gave very specific instructions for how he is to be worshipped. And one of the things he talked about was that there would be a lamp that would burn through the night. It would be filled with a certain kind of oil, a fine olive oil, and it would burn throughout the night as a reminder, again, of God's presence. And so the lamp was in the tent of meeting, which is where the ark was kept, but it was kept behind a veil, a curtain. There was a a big, don't think shower curtain, (laughs) think big block out the light curtain that separated God and his presence, holy God, from sinful Israel. Right? So that was there. The lamp was burning in front of it. This is where we find Samuel lying down. The lamp was lit every night from evening into morning, and we're told that the lamp had not gone out yet. And so it was still evening. It was still late. So it's sometime during the night, and God speaks to Samuel, and we're told that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. 1 Samuel 3.1 says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. God had called Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. He spoke through Moses. He gave the Ten Commandments. He gave instructions about worship. He led them through him, Moses being the voice speaking for, for God to the people. God spoke and led them out of Egypt and all through the desert and instructed them. And then God spoke through Joshua. Joshua led them into the promised land. And the people would listen to Joshua and hear from God through him. And they were given instructions and they would follow those. But then after a few generations, they would start to waver. They would start to kind of turn away. Uh, Which if you've ever read the book of Judges, it's kind of fun. It's an interesting read, certainly. Rather graphic is the word I would use. Um, But in a nutshell, it's, God, we love you so much. Hey, what's that shiny thing over there? And they'd wander off and forget about God. And then they'd get oppressed by outside nations. And then they'd come back and be like, God, save us. And he'd raise up a judge. And they're like, God, you are so awesome. 
oh, look, another shiny thing. And they'd wander off, and it was just lather, rinse, repeat, right? And so when we enter into the story, it's the transition time, leaving the time of judges and moving into the time of prophets and kings. Samuel will be the first anointed prophet, first chosen prophet, uh, who will anoint the first king of Israel. Hashtag spoiler alert, that's Saul. Um, If you're waiting for the movie to come out, I recommend reading the book first. (laughs) So right now, Samuel is still a boy, we're told. He's not the great prophet of renown yet, but he's getting there. And when he hears the voice in the temple calling to him, he's confused. Uh, Verse 4, Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli <laughs> and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I didn't call you. Go lie down. <laughs> right? I, I hear annoyance in Eli's voice because sometimes when you just want to sleep, like you want to sleep, right? So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli <laughs> and said, here I am, for you called me. He said, I didn't call you, kid. <laughs> lie down again. It says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli. Something that's not in your notes or anything, but I noticed as I was reading this again as I prepare, God is so patient, right? God is standing there trying to talk to this young man, and every time God says something, Samuel, Samuel like gets up and is like, oh, and you know, starts running the other way. And what does God do? He just waits. Waits for him to come back. Calls him again. Samuel, he wakes up. Runs back over here. And eventually Eli puts the pieces together because he's obviously not calling him. Says, and he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and if he calls you, You shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. So Samuel hears this audible voice calling to him, but he doesn't realize that it's God. And we're told that he he doesn't know God yet. And that's not that he doesn't know who God is. He's a Jewish boy who's living at the temple. He knows who God is, but he doesn't know the voice. It's not familiar to him. He's not familiar yet with the voice of the Lord. He isn't the prophet yet who will speak for God. We're jumping in right at the beginning of the story, and it's Eli who perceives what's going on and tells Eli what to do. This is just such a cool moment to think about. The word of the Lord may have been rare at that time, but it wasn't absent. And so we see that God speaks to mankind. God speaks to mankind. Think about that for a second. God, the God of the universe, speaks to mankind. The Lord of the universe speaks to us, to humanity. He's not some medieval king shut up in his castle, unconcerned about the plight of the peasants. Any uh, any, uh, Mel Brooks fans? All you can picture is History of the World Part 1. Sire, the peasants are revolting. Yeah, they are. (laughs) They stink on ice. (laughs) You'll get there. (laughs) He's not like that. He's different. He's not 
distant. That's not the picture of our God. He hasn't shut himself off from us. He speaks. He hasn't closed up the doors of heaven looking down from afar like, I wonder how they're getting along. You know, he's involved. He doesn't merely just glance down. He speaks. The word of the Lord was rare in those days, but it wasn't gone. God had not left his people Though they rebelled against him, though, though they would constantly fight and go back and forth and they would wane in their faithfulness to them, he never leaves them. He speaks. But does man hear? Do we hear? Now before we, we continue on, I feel I need to address the disembodied voice in the room. Samuel is hearing an audible voice. If you're hearing an audible voice other than mine... We have people who can help with that. <laughs> you, you can talk to one of the fine campus pastors after the sermon. Right? But Samuel is hearing an audible voice because he is fulfilling a role that God is creating, the prophet of the Old Testament. This is a specific office. This is a very specific job and is different, is different than the New Testament gift of prophecy. There may come a day when we have a sermon on the New Testament gift of prophecy, but it is not this sermon. (laughs) Old Testament prophets were chosen by God to speak to his people, to deliver God's message to them. It's a very specific office. It wasn't everyone. God chose them. And, And that office is closed. There are no more Old Testament prophets Because we live in the New Testament era. John the Baptist was the last one, we're told. Matthew 11, 11 through 15 says, this is Jesus speaking, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Elijah was a great prophet in the Old Testament. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus tells us that John is the last one to have the job. He's it. No more. Office is closed. Stop sending your resumes. He's the last and the greatest. But that time is done. And it's done because they all prophesied about Jesus, who showed up. You don't need God to send a messenger to speak for him when God shows up in the flesh. That's that's the simple reason as to why it's closed. That's why there's no more prophets, because God came and said it. He doesn't need a messenger anymore. There's no need for God to deliver his message through a mouthpiece, because God himself came. Jesus, who is God, took on flesh and walked among us and taught and spoke and pointed us to God. That is why there's no more need for the office of prophet. Jesus came to us and gave us his word, the Bible. We can hear his word for ourselves today. We can open it up and read it. And so I need to ask the question, is the word of the Lord rare for our life, for your life? Is the word of the Lord rare in your life? We're told in in Samuel's day, the word of the Lord was rare, but is that true for you today? The Bible, what we're reading here tonight together, this is the voice of God. This is the word of the Lord. 
you're not a prophet, I'm not a prophet, that office is closed, you don't have to be because you don't need it. God has spoken and he's given it to you. The word of the Lord is only as rare in our lives as we allow it to be. When I was in college, I went to Geneva. I was studying to be a youth pastor. Yes, I chose this job willingly. Um, <laughs> yes, I did get a psych eval first. Um, why do you ask? <laughs> there was this weeknight worship thing that would happen. And they would have students that sometimes taught. It was usually led by students. Um, but every now and then they would bring in these guest speakers. And this one time they brought in a guy who proclaimed himself to be a prophet, who showed up and, and proclaimed himself a prophet, fulfilling the office. And he taught, and I don't recall specifically what he taught on, but I do remember at the end there being a line of people just waiting, and I think they probably waited for hours to hear from him, wanting him to prophesy over them wanting him desperately to speak to them from God, wanting the, this man to go to God for them and give them some kind of message. And it, it breaks my heart to think about because why would you, why would you go to some person to hear from God? Why, why would you put someone between you and God? You don't have to. Why, why filter the message through someone else? I know that people desire to hear from God. I desire to hear from God. I hope you desire to hear from him. I understand that desire. It's a good one. But don't go looking for it in some man or woman. Don't go looking for it in me or in Pastor Mike. We gladly come up here and preach. But if, if my voice is the one that resonates in your head when, when you're thinking about the word of God, if my speaking is the only time that you're hearing from God, you're starving yourself. You're starving yourself. God has spoken to you through his word. The word of the Lord is only as rare in your life as you allow it to be. See, while sin remained in the Old Testament time, in Samuel's time, there was a curtain, there was a veil that separated God from the people. They couldn't get to him. They couldn't get there. Their sin separated them from God. That sin was paid for, right? You couldn't just stroll into God's presence in the Old Testament time. You couldn't just, I guess you can't really knock because it's a tent but, and a curtain. <laughs> right? You couldn't throw open the curtain and walk in. You weren't allowed. You'd be struck down dead. And that's not a, that's not a joke. You would. Because God is holy. He is set apart. He is perfectly holy. And we can't just stroll into his presence tainted by sin. But sin no longer hinders those who have life in Jesus, those who've been forgiven. Jesus removes the stain. He removes the sin. Past, present, future, all paid for on the cross. Jesus' blood paid the price to purchase your soul, to buy you back from sin and death, to bring you to God. That curtain is gone. When Jesus died on the cross, it was torn in two. There is no more separation between you and God. There is no more separation. You don't need someone to go to God for you. Those who are following Jesus, those who have trusted for him for salvation, now have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. You have God, the eternal God, the Holy Spirit living within you to bring you into the presence of God. He guides us. He speaks to us through his word. He's the one who authored it, we're told. 
2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. The Holy Spirit inspired every word in this book, delivered every word of this book. Do you hear the voice of God when you read it? Are you opening it and coming and finding him there? Are you allowing him to speak to you through it? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active. That doesn't mean that the word changes, but it changes us. It changes us through the work of the Spirit, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit within us, that works in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, to mold us into the image of God, to speak to us to bring us understanding as we read the word, to guide us. Have you experienced that truth? Have you found comfort in time of need? Have you found guidance for, for doubt, for questions? Have you seen God show up in his word, or do you shut it out? Do you ignore his voice? Are you filling yourself with the voice of God, with his word, or are you filling yourself with, with garbage? Have you chosen to spend your time and to fill your heart and your mind with, with all the other voices out there, with TV, with magazines, with, with podcasts? I know I want to hear God's voice. I know I long for it in my life. I know that I need it to fill my heart, my mind, my soul, everything to conform me into the image of his son. What are you filling yourself with? This world is a desert, people. I know I've lived there. It's not fun. <laughs> this world is a desert. Deserts are inhospitable. There is nothing in this world that can satisfy the thirst of your soul other than the word of God. There's nothing else. Are you dying of thirst? Christian, drink deep from the word of God. See how refreshing it is. See how God shows up in your life. I know people want to hear from God. I get it. And I understand that's why quote-unquote prophets are popular. Go to this person and they will speak to me for God, but I'm telling you that won't truly satisfy your thirst. That won't quench what your soul within you desires because that puts you more distant from God than your soul was created to be. Your soul was created to be connected to him with no barriers, with no mediator other than Christ. It won't quench your thirst. Go to him. I understand why so many people stayed in line back when I was in college. I understand that desperate desire to hear the voice of God. Is the word, is the voice of God rare in your life? Is his word rare? Will you go and listen to him? Will you open the pages? Will you invite him to speak? He does. See, Samuel didn't have the same advantage we did. When I think about Samuel being there, the Bible wasn't written yet. Most of the authors of the Bible hadn't even been born yet. <laughs> Samuel's there. Jesus hadn't appeared. The full Bible hadn't been authored. Not only that, but he's still pretty young at this point. He's still figuring things out. He's not the great prophet that we know. And yet, this is amazing to me, God knows Samuel's name. God knows Samuel's name. 
that might be partly why Samuel's confused. He thinks it's Eli. He's hearing his name. How humbling and exhilarating at the same time. When Eli helps Samuel discern the voice of the Lord to know that God is calling him, knows his name. My wife and I went on vacation with my parents to Disney, um, which is great. <laughs> Going to Disney World as an adult is a lot of fun. Um, but we went there, and they have this really cool thing now. And maybe you know because you've been. They have these, these bands. They call them magic bands. And you wear it, and it's everything. You don't need your credit card. You don't need your room key. You don't need nothing. Like, you don't have to have anything in your pockets jingling around. You just kind of tap this band wherever they tell you to, and you get the thing that you want. Your food, you get into your room. You get your spot in line where you want to be. It's really cool. And, and cool and yet creepy at the same time. Because, like, all of your information is on there, and, and when you check in to certain rides and things, they know you're there. They know your name when you're there. I remember we got off one ride, and there was our names. Autumn and Dave, thanks for joining us. I was like, that's a little unsettling. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> right? But what was really cool is when you go to visit these Disney princesses now, and you check in, you get up there, these little kids now, they go in to meet Cinderella, and Cinderella knows their name. Right? And they get in there, and they're just, they can't believe it. Cinderella knows my name. All right, so it wasn't a little girl. It was me. <laughs> Still, it was really cool. Don't judge me. Right? But it's this special moment because someone that they deem so important in their life knows who they are, knows their name. And so they're just so excited. The God of the universe knows your name. The God of the universe knows your name. God knows your name. He knows you. He knows you. He knows you. You are his own. He knows who you are. Jesus tells us in Matthew 10 just how much God knows you. Matthew 10, 29 through 31 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. God is not distant. He doesn't stand afar and watch things unfold. He's involved. He's present. He doesn't just glance at you. He doesn't forget your name. He knows who you are. He knows who you are. He's involved. And not just with the big stuff. Not just with the big... He doesn't just check in like that friend from college you only talk to every four and a half years. Right? He knows who you are. He knows what's going involved. He's involved in the smallest details of our world. A penny was the smallest Roman coin, just like it is today. And with one penny, you could buy two sparrows, which tells you a lot about the value of a sparrow. It's worth half a penny. It's, it's not even worth getting changed for. You might as well just get two of them. <laughs> you get two sparrows for a penny. They're insignificant. And yet God knows when they're bought and sold. God knows when they fall to the ground. God knows those transactions. How much more valuable are you to God than sparrows? If he keeps track of them, imagine what he keeps track of for you. Imagine what happens in your life that he doesn't know about. The answer is nothing. There's nothing that, doesn't, that happens that isn't under the watchful eye of your Father in heaven. 
if God is willing to give that kind of care and attention to birds, <laughs> imagine the care and attention he gives to you. But in fact, you don't have to imagine it. You know because Jesus tells you the very hairs on your head are numbered. Now, for some of you, that count might be a little bit easier to manage. (laughs) For some of you, that number has gotten smaller every year. But that's okay. It's not about the quantity. It's not about what the final number is, but the fact that God knows that not a hair on your head has fallen off that he did not ordain. Some of you are like, I wish you ordained a few more to stick around. (laughs) But God is involved. The point is, not the amount of hair you have, but it's that God cares that much for you, cares that much about the details of your life, knows you better than you know yourself, is there for you even when you don't realize it. He is your good Father in heaven, your Father who loves you, He has a plan for your life, just like he has a plan for Samuel's life, just like he has a plan for Eli's life and for Eli's sons. Now, hopefully you were paying attention when the passage was read earlier, because if you are, you might have done a slight double take there and been like, yeah, Samuel, wait, no, (laughs) not the other guys, right? It's It's a comforting thought to think that God has a plan for me like he had a plan for Samuel. It's a comforting thought to think that God knows my name like he knows Samuel's. It's a little bit less comforting to think that God has a plan for me like he did Eli. I don't want God to know my name like he knows Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons. That's not comforting. Pastor Dave, what are you doing? (laughs) Right? That's not a pleasant thought. He's gone off the rails. Quick, Kevin, pull him down. (laughs) Like, that's not good news. That's not the gospel. Here's the thing. The word gospel does mean good news. But, but it's, it's a word we stole from Greek. English is good at that. We steal lots of words from other languages, like kindergarten, taco, burrito. Clearly, I haven't had dinner yet. <laughs> right? English is good at just taking other people's nouns and being like, these are ours now. And good news refers to the fact that Jesus died for sinners. The good news is that if you repent and turn from sin, that you will find forgiveness, that you will find grace, that you will find acceptance, that you will find love, that if you put your faith in Jesus, you will be saved. That's only good news if you repent and turn from sin. Just like the sign that says, caution, cliff ahead, is only good news If you turn, if you keep going, it's not really good news. If you don't repent and believe, it's no longer good news. In fact, it's a curse. Samuel received a message from God that was not good news for Eli and his sons. I imagine he struggled with with delivering it, and we could spend a lot of time there. But the point was that they were going to be cut off from God. They were going to be cast out. They are going to be struck down. But this isn't the first time that God has spoken to them concerning this. This isn't the first time that he's told Eli about this. This isn't the first time that God has delivered the bad news to Eli. We saw last week that God told Eli what would happen if things didn't change. We saw Pastor Mike talk about this last week, that God sent a messenger to warn Eli, to restrain his sons. If Eli had taken it seriously, God wouldn't have then given the message to Samuel. 
Right? If Eli had taken this seriously, he would have done something different. Eli didn't heed the word of God. He didn't take the message seriously. If he had, he would have responded differently. If he had, he would have changed course. He didn't take it seriously. His sons didn't take it seriously. They didn't take seriously the worship of God, and they blasphemed God. They sinned against God. Last week, we, we saw in the scripture, right, if man sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if man sins against God, who can mediate? The answer is only God. Only God can mediate, which is why he sent his son Jesus to die. That's why Jesus is the ultimate mediator for our sins. He's the only one who could stand in the presence of God as an acceptable sacrifice to die for our sins. And so these priests would work in the temple and they, would, they were responsible for managing the worship of the people of Israel. But it wasn't like they were sent in there without an owner's manual. Anybody ever show up to a job and nobody told you what you were supposed to be doing and you just kind of had to figure it out? Hashtag youth pastor. <laughs> they knew. They were given the word. They were instructed. They were told exactly what they needed to be doing. But they disregarded it. They couldn't care. They decided what they were going to do. They were going to be the ones that were in charge. They were going to determine what was right and what was wrong. Sound familiar? Anybody getting hints of Adam and Eve in there? I am. Anybody getting hints of your own sinful heart in there? I am. They blasphemed God. They were guilty before God. They dishonored the worship of God. And in doing so, they make a mockery of God and a mockery of the cross. Because it is the cross of Christ to which all Old Testament worship points. The sacrifices, the blood spilt to pay for sin year after year after year after year. The same thing over and over and over. They have to keep coming back and keep spilling the blood and keep offering it before God. Because here's what they realize in doing that. It's futile. I can't get there on my own. I can't get there by killing the lambs and the bulls. Someone has to step in. Someone has to intervene. That someone was Jesus. And so the sons of Eli made a mockery of the cross by blaspheming the worship of God that they were entrusted with. He told them what they were to be doing. He told them how to do it. But they didn't care. They made a mockery of the blood of Jesus. And so God will deal with them because they refuse to obey because they refuse to submit and to follow, and God is glorified in dealing with them. Here's the thing. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are not merely historical events. Jesus is not merely a nice person that we can learn from. The death of Jesus on the cross is the most significant event in human history because all of eternity hangs on that moment. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are not just historical events. It's not just something to read about in a history book. Jesus is not just a nice person, despite what Oprah tells you. <laughs> the death of Jesus on the cross is the most significant event in human history because all of eternity hangs on that moment. The cross is the dividing point of human history for those who will receive forgiveness and salvation and those who will be condemned 
Jesus, who is God, took on flesh. He is God forever. He is equal with God. He was with God in the beginning, we are told. Through him, everything is created, and he steps down into our world. He takes on flesh. He's born, which is just a humiliating thing to think about. The God of heaven being born. Why? To live the life we couldn't. To live the life of perfect obedience to his Father in heaven. To never sin in word, thought, or deed, just so he could die and spill his blood to bring us to God. To rescue our souls from the grave. To rescue us from sin and death. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven and created a new way, a way to get to God. He removed the barriers and he invites us in. That's the good news if you believe it, if you receive it, if you put your faith in Jesus. If you don't, if you don't trust Jesus, if you look on the cross and turn the other way, it's like Eli and his sons. The curse remains. It's not good news. The sin remains because you've rejected the Son of God. You have rejected the the blood that pays the price for sin. You've rejected the only thing that can save you. We cannot earn salvation. We can only earn death. There are no wages we can get, but there's a gift that buys us a way out. There's a gift that pays the debt we owed to accept the sacrifice, to confess sin and the need of salvation, to trust Jesus, to put your faith in him solely is to receive life, is to be born again, is to be made new, is to be adopted as a child of God. He paid the price for you. Will you receive it? Will you be adopted? And not just adopted to sit around and wait either. Not just adopted to twiddle your thumbs. Not just adopted to go, now what? Looking at like, I'm 31, I probably got a good 60, 40 years left. <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> no, we are adopted and brought into the family and entrusted with the family business. Entrusted with the greatest treasure there is on earth, with the, the one treasure that won't rot or fade or go away, that the IRS can't take and your neighbor can't borrow, Right? That's the message of salvation. That is life in Jesus. That treasure is the gospel, is the good news. And so I adjure you. I, I, I call to you, speak. As Eli called to Samuel and adjured him to speak, I encourage you now, speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. Tell everyone you know about Jesus. Don't hide the message. Don't hide the truth from people. Don't shut it away from the world. Don't walk out of here and think to yourself, well, that was nice. Pastor Dave's pretty good. I like hearing from him. (laughs) If that's all you get out of this, then I failed. Don't walk away tonight and not realize the treasure you have. And if you don't have it, don't walk away without realizing that you can. Speak the truth in love. The whole truth. Hold nothing back. Call sin, sin. I've had far too many interactions with leaders in churches, with peers, with friends, who lead others, who are called pastor, that felt the message of the Bible had to be watered down so that people could 
have it so that they could understand it. They had to soften it. They had to, to cut it up for them first, like you cut up food for a little kid. It had to be censored or it had to be edited. Real conversations with, with real ordained pastors saying that we need to make it easier for people to follow Jesus, that you aren't going to get the people of today to follow Jesus if you give them the whole thing. You've got to remove some of those parts that aren't real popular. We need to remove things in the Bible that might make somebody stumble. That's absurd. That's absurd. They've told me things like, I don't really want to take a stand on abortion because what if somebody comes who has had an abortion or is thinking about having an abortion? If I take too strong a stand, how am I going to tell them about Jesus? Right? What, what, if, what if I take a stand on that and they don't want to hear from me? They won't listen. I don't really think it's good to take such a strong stand on homosexuality, on, on gay marriage, because then I won't actually be able to tell them about Jesus. If you're here tonight and you're thinking about getting abortion, if you're here tonight and you've had an abortion, know this. You are loved. You are loved unconditionally. We love you. Jesus loves you. I love you. I want to hear from you. I want to pray with you. We are here for you. We will help you. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to tell you that killing an unborn child is okay. I'm not going to tell you that sin is okay because that is not love. That is not love. I'm not going to encourage you towards sin. I'm going to encourage you towards Jesus and tell you we're all broken. Each one of us carries a brokenness, a sin within us that we need Jesus to forgive. We've come to him and laid it at his feet and trust him. And I invite you to do the same. If you're here today and you're gay and, and you're wrestling with that and I just offended you, Know that I love you, that my, my goal is not to offend you. My goal is to show you love and to point you to Jesus and to tell you that gay marriage is okay because I want you to follow Jesus. That's watering down the message. That's not going to do you any good. To point you to sin is okay. I want you to follow Jesus, the real Jesus. I want you to find life in him, real life in him because I love you too much to point you to sin. Because here's what it means when we try to soften the message, when we try to make it more palatable, when we water it down, when we water down the message of sin and repentance. When people say things like, like it's okay to sin, like certain popular sins are okay, when they tell me that we need to make exceptions for these things, here's what they're saying. I need to make an allowance for this person to keep on sinning in order for them to be able to follow Jesus. I need to make a special exception for them to be able to hold on to sin and still follow Jesus. I need to make it acceptable for this person to continue sinning in order for them to follow Jesus. When you do that, you blaspheme the sacrifice on the cross. When you do that, you spit on the face of Christ as he hangs. When you do that, when you make sin insignificant, you make the blood insignificant. When you water down sin, you water down the blood spilt on the cross. It took the only perfect son of God to die on the cross to pay for sin. Don't water that down. Don't remove that. 
show people how to get there. It took the blood of Jesus spilt to pay for sin. When we make sin insignificant, we make the blood insignificant. Don't try to soften that. Don't make it easier to accept. Don't hide the parts that the world would want us to. Don't hide bits and pieces of it to try to what? Trick somebody into following Jesus for fear of how they might respond. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. It's not an excuse to be a jerk, you Facebook warriors. <laughs> that's, not your, that's not your cue to go pick fights with people. The goal is to love. The goal is to love without fear and trust that God will call them. Don't censor the word. Don't hinder the message. Go out and love people without condition because you have been loved without condition. Go out and speak the truth in love because you have heard the truth in love. Speak it eagerly and often to everyone that you come into contact with. Let them hear it so that they may respond. So that they may respond. Some of them will come and will follow and will choose life. And some of them may remain condemned in their sin. But let it not be because we held back the truth. Let it not be because we refuse to speak the truth that Jesus loves them, died for them, and wants to bring them to him. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.